listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Julian Rodriguez. Julian is wrapping up his 19th year in K-12 education. Julian began his career in education as a high school English teacher and taught for nine years before becoming an administrator. In 2014, Julian became the district office administrator, serving first as a coordinator of curriculum and instruction, then as director of assessment and instructional technology. He currently serves as the director of the secondary curriculum and instruction for his students and schools of Chino Valley Unified School District. All right. Hi, Julian. Thanks so much for joining us today. So before we get started, do you have any social media platforms that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, Sure. On Twitter, uh, you can find me at at CVUSD secondary. Cool. Great. So to get started, we would want to know why you wanted to become a teacher. Can you share with us that? Um, Dad was a teacher. Um, So that was my first exposure uh, to teaching. I remember uh, very clearly um, I was in kindergarten and I happened to look up out of the window uh, that that sat high above the, the classroom wall and at the level above us, I saw a very, very familiar figure walk out of a classroom and um, make a very familiar gesture. He was blowing his nose. <laughs> and I looked and I realized that's dad. You know, that's my father. That's my daddy. And uh, so that was one of my, that's one of my very earliest memories uh, of education. And so it was always there. And um, it's just what uh, he still continues to my educational mentor. I've been retired now for 20 years, 20 plus years. Um, but, but that really is why. And then uh, uh, just growing up with a teacher in the family, it's hard not to, um, you know, want to be that. Uh, be that. So then, okay, now, now um, besides your father, yes. What are some, you know, who are who are some of your some of the early early teachers that you um, thinking back now that you modeled your your own teaching from? Mr. Bendix, uh, third grade. Uh, very easy, yeah. The, Mr. Bendix, um, I, his approach to uh, teaching um, was he immersed us in, in whatever it is we were doing. Uh, for example, um, he t- I remember uh, very, I think I still have it. <laughs> he, he made, he, we made a uh, passport, um, you know, when over a couple of days we made a passport. Uh-huh. And he told us he was taking us on a journey around the world. And um, we would need to get our passports stamped, you know, for every stop and every flight that we took. And over the over a course of, to me, it seemed like a year, but it may have been two weeks, you know. As we <laughs> it, it, but he would come in um, dressed in authentic um, clothing. Um, he sometimes would bring a dish. We would listen to music. And he had slides, you know, of his travels. Um, And uh, every day it was just uh, what seemed like every day. We were just in a different country. Um, Very clearly remember the pyramids, uh, seeing him next to the pyramid. Very clearly, um, you know, in in, uh, the rainforest. Very clearly uh, in Germany. Uh, Very clearly. It was just, I remember that very clearly. geography um, very clearly. Um, another one was uh, Mrs. Bossy. 
um, Mrs. Bossy uh, was a fourth, my fourth grade teacher. Then it was third. Uh, Bossy was was fourth, and I remember her uh, setting up a store in her classroom, um, in which she taught us transactions. You know, we would we learned how to write checks. We learned how to Fine. pick items off a shelf. We learned how to budget. Um, and so it, it's really those teachers that immersed us mm-hmm. and, and um, immersed me in whatever it is that we were learning. That's cool. So you have a pretty diverse background in teaching. You've taught many different topics. Can you share with us maybe one or two of your favorite projects that you've taught with your students in whatever <laughs> level you want to share that are particularly memorable? Yeah. Um, so I was an English, high school English teacher um, for many years, um, although it wasn't, it's never just English when you're a high school teacher. It's, mm-hmm. it's ASB advisor, it's class, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, class advisor, it's uh, this club, that club. <laughs> but, um, you know, I did teach English for, for almost 15 years, 15 years. I was in the classroom at least. Um, and... Um, it was probably the poetry, um, especially as as um, time. I remember when I first started teaching in the late nineties classroom um, uh, as, a, as a student, as a undergrad at the time. Yeah, um, it was it was uh, very different then. You know, we we came out as English teachers wanting to think we were going to be able to teach great novels, um, and you could get away with some of the longer pieces then, but. Over the course, I entered into the 2000s, and as as technology kind of um, started in coming in a little bit stronger, remember the first, I was in the classroom when the first iPhone you know, came out, um, you know, we, we really had to start shifting a little bit. And so where I think it became really good, and where it really developed was some of the short pieces, short stories, poetry. Because you could get in and out in a couple of days. You didn't have to stretch out this longer piece of literature or nonfiction, some of the nonfiction pieces, two articles and things like that. Um, so some of the some of the best pieces were, uh, believe it or not, Victorian poetry. Um, under pride of, um, I would go out into the hallways and I would listen to what kids were saying. I would listen to what, um, I would listen to what uh, language they were using. And I would go into the classroom and I would take a poem um, uh, and I would take a poem about relationships, for example, and I would say something like, I'd walk in the classroom and I'd say something, I heard a term today. Um, you know, back in the day we had boyfriend and girlfriends, but today I heard somebody say something like, just talking. I said, explain to me what talking is, you know? Um, what's the difference now? When do you become a boyfriend? When do you become a girlfriend? And, and they just, they got into telling me and explaining that. Then what I would do is I'd take this poem and I would throw it at them and I'd say, what is this relationship? Are they just talking or are they seeing each other? Or are they dating? You know, things mm. like that. So I would come around the back end <laughs> I like and have it. them explain to me mm-hmm. using their language. That's awesome. Um, okay, yeah. so just as a side note, I'm going to take a pause in here. But your Jillian, th- th- thank you for that for that information um, because it it kind of sounds sounds like you were really in, engaged with your with your with your own kids. Um, 
and and making English real, making the content of English real is is often complicated with, well, especially high school kids. Um, so what what took you from the high school classroom into administration? Um, a mentor. Oh. Um, I uh, was fortunate enough to have a uh, fellow teacher and um, also an administrator who um, started uh, broaching the idea with me and um, encouraged me. Um, saw, I guess they saw something in me that that uh, a leadership quality, um, and they encouraged me to follow that path. Um, and along the way were very just realistic with me and uh, didn't pull any punches, told me how tough it would be, but also told me some of the characteristics that I exhibited that, that would be, um, that would uh, help me along that role. Um, I still continue to, to talk to them. Obviously, you don't ever let those go. And um, I'm fortunate to still have them in my life, but it was a mentor. Um, somebody looked out and somebody kind of leading me in that direction. So, so then now you're now you're working at the district office, and um, and now, as all of us know, a lot of stuff is going on. Um, so, how did your district go 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 from face to face to now online um, in in such a short period of time? Um, and I and I know it was probably very tenuous, but can you can, you know can you walk us through? through the thought thought process? Um, well, I'm, I'm fortunate um, to have some, um, I don't know if it's fortunate. <laughs> I work in a large organization. You know, we've got nearly 30,000 students in our district. Um, and so with that, you have a lot of people. And when you're surrounded by a lot of different thought processes, as well as processes just in general, operative processes, um, uh, you're fortunate in that uh, there's, there's, uh, a lot of brainstorming. Um, I've also worked in smaller organizations, districts half this size, school site, classroom level, grade level. Um, and so I, I'm fortunate to, to kind of see how each of those processes carry out. Uh, but um, very early on, um, when we knew that this, before we were using the word pandemic, um, I had a one of my uh, one of my bosses, an associate superintendent, pull me aside and said, you need to plan for 10 days of learning. Hmm. Every grade seven through twelve. What and I said, every I, subject? <laughs> okay. She said every subject seven through twelve, ten days. No. We need to buy the teachers some time to get their content up. And so my counterpart in elementary grades K through six and I kind of just looked at each other and said, "Whoa, you know." And she was just very clear. She said, "This is no." No new learning. She said, this is fluff, but we need to buy the teacher some time. Hmm. Um, because we knew that the shift was way, shape, or form going to look like true virtual classroom. We knew that it wasn't going to be an online education. There's just so much thinking and so much infrastructure and so much training and a mindset that you have to, for that, for, for online or blended learning to really happen. This was just an emergency. Um, and so, um, I had a very, I think a very proactive, um, um, boss, um, that, that started us on that road very early and we bought the teachers 10, 
it doesn't seem like when you but when you take 10 days and you bump that up against a week of, of spring break and you're buying teachers a half a month to get their content up um you know some of the teachers and we knew this um i went and talked to one of our local high schools on the very first day that they came back and they were going to have to sit down and really just get down and dirty for a couple of days i went and talked to them and i said some of you are looking at me like Yes, I've been waiting for this. This is my time, <laughs> coach. You know, and for others, it said, "What's a Google?" Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. so uh, we we had to account for that, um, and I think we did in our district. Um, I think we did, um, and uh, so that was the biggest, you know, shift. And for um, anybody to think that for anybody to have foreseen it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but we were fortunate enough, I think, to have uh, some forward thinking people that knew that we had to, to buy our teachers a little bit of time. What are some positives that you think are coming out of all this? Oh, um, positives, positives. I think the positives, um, so far, so far is, um, some of those, conceptions about or what we think we know about education are, are kind of falling away. Um, let me give you, an, uh, let me be very specific. Time of day. Um, you, we have this incredibly uh, antiquated um, schedule mm-hmm. from 7.30 to 2.30 every day or 8 to 4 or whatever it is, a 55-minute block, five days a week. Um, it's those don't exist anymore and, and we can't we can't work within within that um, and if we are we're not going to be successful and for those educators that have struggled with that those kids are 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 having the hardest time those mm. students I'm not, not just kids adult students adult learners yeah. um, all the way um, from k-12 into, into higher ed um, they're they're struggling for those educators that haven't been able to give that up and for those students too, because we have a number of students. I was just talking to a 12th grader last week. Um, and this is not a 12th grader who has struggled through school. This is a 12th grader who's quote unquote figured it out. This kid was trying to choose between USC, LMU, and uh, I think uh, one of the UCs. Okay. This was his, his choice. Higher? No, no, no. I was, no. Just, I was just pointing to my IU. Oh, oh. there you go. <laughs> um, he was, uh, this is a kid who has figured it out. Well, he thought he had figured it out. And then we switched to online or distance learning. And he, he actually reached out to the superintendent and said, I need help. Wow. Hmm. I need help. I'm struggling. And so the superintendent immediately emailed it back and said, hey, I'm going to put you in touch with somebody who may be able to help you. And um, he had already talked to his teacher. He had already talked to his principal. He was just, you know, struggling. So, you know, I spent about an hour on the phone with the kid and um, really kind of tried to empathize with him, um, reassure him. Um, But what he was struggling with is just like some educators who had to give up that 55 minute period, five day, you know, five hours a day, Mm -hmm. he was struggling with that also. Hmm. Um, And so it's not just the educators and it's not, you know, it's, it's also the students. um, But I think that 
so what's coming, I think to, to come back around and answer your question, one of the good things that's, that, that is happening is that we're shedding some of those things about what we think about K-12 education, at least that's my perspective. Yeah. Um, in that time frame. You, you know what, you know what, Julian, and that's, I think, been one of the things that I've been sharing with, with a lot of educators, not just here locally, but um, statewide and, you know, across the world, too, where I think if we, if we look at the positive side of all this going on, this is a great opportunity for, for us as educators just to, just to press that pause, pause button and say, hey, now, what else can we do? You know, what, you know, you know. How can we? How can we change things? Because I, I think what you, what, what you said is very true. We, we've been doing, well, a lot of a lot of schools have have been doing the same thing for the past two hundred years. Um, yep. You know, and so, and so, one of the things as a as a educator, as an administrator, what are some what are some things that that you and and or your colleagues are are thinking about or rethinking with regards to education? Well, um, the time issue is one of them. Um, we took for granted that we had uh, access to these students um, for eight hours a day, nine hours a day. Um, you know, in the case of students who are in activities and athletics, twelve hours a day, fifteen hours a day. Right. Um, but now we're having to pare that down tremendously and we're really, um, and so that's my area as a director of curriculum and instruction. Um, we had to take what we thought was curriculum and we had to take what we thought was instruction, um, and really, uh, dramatically, you know, make a shift. Um, and so one of the, um, access to the student when the student's learning, um, how to hold students accountable, um, as well as ourselves accountable. Um, that's, that's a big shift. Um, so, so one of the tasks that I'm charged with right now is trying to look forward to August. Um, and so our, we have a start date of August 10th that hasn't changed, you know, um, but not knowing what the um, guidelines are going to be for uh, sending 3,000 kids back to, back to one building. Yeah. <laughs> not knowing what those guidelines are going to be. Um, we're trying to, uh, trying to imagine what that looks like. I, and I can't plan for an eight-hour day having 3,000 kids on a campus, no. you know, Fred, right in your neighborhood, right? Correct. I can't plan for a day. Another part, another school is having 1,000 kids. Uh, and then when you think about elementary school, really, you're going to tell a kindergartner, you're going to teach a kindergartner or a first grader or a second grader that they need to stay six feet apart. I mean, yeah. so um, I think this, this has kind of forced our hand at rethinking everything about what it is that we're doing from bell, what we call bell to bell, yeah. you know? Um, and, and so I don't really have an, I don't have a definite answer yet. We're, we're doing a lot of, um, a lot of uh, theoretical uh, building right now. In theory, this should work. In theory, this should work. But when it comes to, to practical application, we're, we're going to have to you know, gather some feedback. And Fred, I remember one of the very early messages you and I had via text were, if we lose this opportunity um, to gather data, uh, to talk to people, 
um, if we if we blow this, yeah. it, it, um, we're just going to go right back to a 200 year old system that yeah. that wasn't you know, that a lot of people that is arguably not working. So I really like your idea of rethinking time. And if we take this idea of not being able to have as many as 3000 students together at school at one time, one way to think about that is to remember half day kindergarten. (laughs) Yeah. What if we do half-day school? Or the, what is it, early birds and the late yeah, birds? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> let's just cut our class sizes in half. Let's go back to, like, what is good practice? You know, like, Finland has a 10-to-1 teacher-to-student ratio. That's, like, the ideal learning experience. If we cut teachers' days in half with their students and only have 10 students in a classroom at once, you're going to reduce that that, you know, contact that is a huge concern. And then on the other half of the day they already have the experience of being online. Like this might be an opportunity to do hybrid and, and meet the needs in those two ways. Just a thought. And, and we're trying to prepare for every possible scenario. If we lose, and, and I'm going to go back. If we lose this opportunity to shift some things, despite whatever the guidelines are, um, I think we're going to lose big. And you're right. Looking globally mm-hmm. um, at what other uh other countries and, and other um, educational frameworks are, are doing, I think is, is vital. I agree. You know, the blended, the hybrid, um, whatever you want to call it, uh, two days in, three days out, um, um, on call, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever that looks like. Um, four, three days of community service and two days of in-classroom, whatever that looks like. Um, yeah. I think if we, we can't lose this opportunity. Yeah, because what it what it sounds like is like a modification of the modification of the old block schedule. Right. Oh, that's exactly we, that's that's where we went to um, when I, I was charged with sitting down and saying, "Okay, Julian, if we can only have students two days a week, and I've got um, eighteen hundred kids, what do we do?" And so the first thing I went to was what they used to call a rotating AB block. Yeah. Where you mm-hmm. were either an A kid or a B kid. <laughs> yeah. And then depending on the moon was in quarter phase or half, <laughs> you know, I say that jokingly, but mm-hmm. you have to come up with these variations um, and, and still make it meaningful. Yeah. You're there and you're only going to be there for 45 minutes with that person. What's going to happen in that 45 minutes? So that's the second, that's the, the other part. Right. Yeah. I'm on campus or I'm in the community or I'm in that building. Then what's what's happening when I am with you? Is that instructional support? Is it intervention? Is it direct instruction that can only happen face to face? Is it a wet lab for a physics course? You know, um, what is that? Right. Um, and, and so it's uh, it is it's very interesting. Well, and then, and then two, let me just throw another wrench in after school activities, you know, (laughs) you know, how, you know, because, you know, as we, um, you know, places like, you know, Ayala's band is, you know, internationally known. And so what do we do for those, you know, for those kids that really want to, you know, be in band and we're talking hundreds of kids at a given time. Um, or sports or what, whatever. Yeah, there's there's at least um, two young ladies who I'm aware of that were counting on a on a wrestling scholarship. 
Yes. Um, and there's I know who they are. <laughs> and I'm trying to, yeah, and I'm and I'm and I pick wrestling for a very specific reason. Yeah. There, you can't social distance your way through that. No. Um, and they're in, so, depending on their their circumstances, that could affect the rest of their lives if they are not able to secure those scholarships. Oh. Um, as well as that that time in seat. Um, you know, band. Believe it or not, you you mentioned band, but that's like down. That's like the least of because we can figure <laughs> that part out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's the, it's the wrestling scholarship. It's the water polo player. It's the um, there there are some other uh, there there's some other avenues that have been been able we've been able to do. Um, but there's definitely the activities is is taking a hit right now. So then, talk about how your philosophy of education has changed over these over from the time that you know you were. You know, you were that young, um, aspiring teacher, and then once you like, once you moved into the classroom, and then once you moved into administration, and then now. I think it was in your class, Fred, that we were asked first to write our um, over at Cal State Fullerton to, to what is your educational philosophy? It might have even been one of your first assignments. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's pretty much all tanked in the last couple of months. Um, <laughs> there's. You know, um, right now, in fact, um, if you aren't looking at non-examples, um, you're, you're, if you're unable to look at, at non-examples of what things should be, I think that's where people are struggling. Um, so uh, it's almost, um, in other words, where my educational philosophy um, might have been stated six months ago um, that education is about options. It's about mm-hmm. making sure that every student not only has options, but has access to those options, right? Um, where that may have been six, seven, eight, eight months ago, it's, it's almost easier to look at what education is not um, right now. Um, and so um, it is not inflexible. It is not static. It is not um, inaccessible, um, that and and I think that that we it's just been tanked these last few months. It really has everything that we thought it you know that we thought it would be or should be. Um, case in point, um, what I what I call equity. You know, um, we we anticipated. When you talk about ed- education needing to be accessible, let, let's start with that. Okay, so if I start my educational philosophy by saying that education, every um, every lesson, every teacher, every classroom, every seat, every piece of knowledge needs to be accessible to every student, despite whatever they bring to the t- to that to that seat. Well, you can plan for all of those things, but the minute that you have to go online and figure out how many kids actually can't get online, then that gets tanked. Yeah. Um, so we anticipated having to give out anywhere between 1,400 and 3,000 devices. Now, don't forget, this is wow. we're at 29,000, um, or something like that, kids in our district, okay? Um, at some of our schools, our free, our, the, the number of students who qualify for the – um, national lunch program, right? 
um, is anywhere between 8 and 14%. At other schools, though, we're up in the 80s, okay? So if you equate income with the ability to have more than one device as well as internet service, then um, you take a percentage of those students and you anticipate that, okay, maybe we're going to need 2,300 to give out 2,300 devices. And of those 2,300 devices, another 60% are going to need access to the internet. So because, because you have a device doesn't mean you have access to the internet. Correct. I mean, look at us this morning, right? I got a device. <laughs> my neighborhood Zoom is down, but I still don't have the perfect connection. Well, guess how many we ended up giving out? Uh, 9,000. Wow. Wow. I had to hand out 9,000 Chromebooks. Um, so um, then is it's, if my educational philosophy is that, is that education needs to be accessible to each and every one of those kids, now you've thrown another layer on them. And then another 6,000 hotspots. Um, so, and then the technical support that goes along with that. And then the... Um, <laughs> then you're hoping that now that you gave the kid a Chromebook, that every single one of their six teachers is is equally, um, you know, uh, proficient, if you will, Correct. Uh, to the extent that we can be. Um, so uh, my educational philosophy has definitely changed, um, you know, because of this. And, and I would I'd go back to saying um, it's almost easier to state what it is, but education is not right now. Yeah. Um, because it's evolving very quickly. Um, one of the things that, um, as you, as you know, both me and Malia are university profs working with both pre, pre, pre-service and, um, in-service teachers, um, you know, and working on credential masters, doctorates, blah, blah, blah. In your professional opinion and based off of what everything that you're saying, how should we be working with first with pre-service teachers, given, you know, everything that's, that's, that's taking place now. And then, um, and then those of us that are working with teachers that are working on their, on their masters. Um, you know, there, there, there can't, not enough good things can be said about um, that pre-service period. Um, when you have uh, students trying to expose themselves to as many different learning scenarios. Yeah. Um, and I know it's evolved over the, the past you know few years, um, thankfully. Um, but trying to ex- trying to expose yourself to as many levels of learning as possible and as many levels of teaching as possible, um, and not um, not letting hold, hold of what it's like to be a learner, I think it's just vital. It's vital. So sometimes we get um, sometimes we get first year teachers or even those at the end of their credentialing program who think this is the terminal period of my life. Right. This is it. I've reached it. This is this is this is it. And it it seems kind of a shock to them when we tell them, no, this is the beginning of your learning. You know, buddy, (laughs) you're going to continue to be a lifelong learner Mm -hmm. to learn. and as much as you um, want to think that 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 role in front of the classroom, in front of the whiteboard, uh, behind the Chromebook, whatever that is, is is it? 
um, you're part of a much larger piece of continual learning, especially professional learning. Um, you know, uh, we we rely heavily, and unfortunately, it, it, we haven't figured this part out yet either. I will say as administrators, we haven't figured out how to provide good professional learning for teachers where it doesn't pull you out of the classroom for three weeks out of the year. Yeah. We haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. Hopefully that, some good will come of that, you know, uh, of this in that when we learn we can deliver professional learning um, via distance or on demand, you know, things like that. Um, so, so if you could help pre-service teachers and beginning in-service teachers um, know that they're part of this much larger piece of continual learning yeah. um, and shifting, I think, is, is vital. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what your teacher's professional development looked like pre-COVID and not meaning pre-COVID before we decided to go online, but like what types of things were you offering these teachers that are currently teaching um, for their professional development? Oh, you could ask a hundred different districts and you're going to get a hundred different, exactly. yeah. <laughs> different ways. Um, mm-hmm. and, and well, fortunately or unfortunately, it really is at, at the will of who's ever leading, you know, leading at that time in okay. their philosophy on professional learning. Um, like we really do try, I, I, I can talk to, um, I've worked in two, two school districts, one in Los Angeles County, again, about 15,000 and then another now in San Bernardino County with about 30,000 students. Um, and so I've seen a couple of different flavors of professional learning. And then, um, you know, in my doctoral studies, obviously looking at frameworks and, and things like that. So I'm fortunate to say that um, our current, in my current district in, in Chino Valley Unified, um, we're very cognizant of adult learning models. Um, and we try to apply that um, uh, when we're designing professional learning. We really do uh, try to keep in mind um, some of those frameworks that rise to the top. So in other words, making sure that whatever we're doing is contextualized within the teacher's work day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to make sure that whatever we're doing, we um, gather as much feedback as we can, not only before um, to help design the learning, but while we're learning. I mean, we've even instituted a quick 30-second survey halfway through some of our learning that says, is the room warm enough? Are your chairs comfortable? <laughs> Have we given you enough breaks? I mean, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm very fortunate um, to work in a district where we're taking those, you know, that in mind. Um, we try very... Um, hard to make sure that um, whenever we do professional learning that we differentiate for as many different teachers as you have in the room, you have as many different type of teaching assignments. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do, um, you know, give, if our geography allows and it does sometimes we do start with some, you know, main room where we have a hundred people in the room, but then I'm going to differentiate for those teachers that are in these two grade levels and have this percentage of students who are English learners, or we're going to take a special ed piece and everybody's going to be in the room for the first part of it, but then there's going to be a practical application that's going to help for those teachers who are specifically working with MOTS of students. Um, and so differentiating is very important. Making sure that it's designed so that it's contextualized for the teacher is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, and so we try to keep that in mind and, and do the best we can with that. Now, like I said, I'm going to go back to this. 
we haven't figured out a great way to do this <laughs> during the year. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's just something we have to work on. You know, um, we have to find a way to, to deliver it. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's done by, it's because of resources. Yeah. Um, you know, frankly, it's, it's easier to, um, it's more resourceful uh, to get a sub into a classroom, right? Rather than to pay a teacher for a full day outside of the school year, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and because money doesn't necessarily always come from um, down a channel that says, nope, you're just going to spend all of this on professional learning. We usually have to, uh, to shelve it under something else. We have to be creative. Um, so once we figured out that, that way to do it without pulling teachers out of the classroom so much, then I'll go, I'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so then, you know, where do you, what, what, are some of the stories that you're that you're hearing, and, and you've been you, you've spoken about some of your some of the students, but what are some other stories that you're hearing from maybe your colleagues and families? Um, you know that go, during during this time. Give us graduation. Give us graduation. Pardon? Give Pardon? us graduation. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. There, there's. It, um, some of the stories, give us graduation. Um, my teacher thinks I'm in the perfect learning environment. Um, my, um, uh, how do I try out for song? Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Th- th- unfortunately right now, some of the stories that we're hearing about are those things we didn't plan for, you know? <laughs> That right. you can't plan for, really. Yeah. Right. Um, no, but to, to kind of, um, if I were to give a thematic, uh, you know, provide some some themes along the way, a lot of it has to, um, and what I'm dealing with in my own personal life, I've got a I've got a fifth grader who left school on March 13th and had no idea, and, and we had no idea that that, well, I kind of had an idea, uh, but my wife and he didn't know that that was the last time that he was going to be on his elementary school campus. Um, he's been going there. And then I started calculating it. I started looking at the days. He's been at that school for a thousand days, just a thousand school days. He's 11 years old. He's been there for six years. That's over half of his life. He's been going to that school campus. Wow. And now he's expected to transition, um, to middle school, um, going from a single teacher a day down to six teachers a day. And, we're trying to figure out what that transition looks like. So a lot of the stories that we're hearing have to do with transitions um, and the lack of those. It's uh, I'm going to use the word ritual, but it's some of those, you know, end of school year rituals and transitional pieces that we have for kids um, that are going to be um, that, that are missing right now. Yeah. Um, and, and high school graduation is one of them. Um, but so is sixth grade promotion uh, or fifth grade promotion, sixth grade promotion, wherever that happens from from a half day kindergarten, as, as Malia mentioned, mm-hmm. into now a full day of school. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the stories that we're hearing are that um, those transitional those um, transitional elements are going to be missing. And how is that going to affect students? Um, so there's a whole social emotional piece um, that's. Um, that is affected, obviously, and you're seeing a lot more literature come out and research come out right. on what 
this this situation has been doing that for kids uh-huh. or two kids um, and to parents <laughs> um, yeah. you know, right now. So we're hearing a lot about transition, Fred. Okay, because that's that's one of the things that that I think is is so I I don't think a lot of people are understanding, um, and to put it blunt bluntly, it's like we're damned if we do, but we're damned if we don't. Um, you know, and that's what's precarious is that do we do we? Yes, everybody wants graduation. Everybody does. We all do because it's you know it's a culminating point, and some of the kids um, you know are going to go on to different you know maybe you know maybe a two year college, maybe a four year college. Some of them aren't going to go to college because you know they just want to go you know straight into into work. But when we're but when we're also looking at you know we don't want people to get sick. We don't want people to end up on hospital beds where, where they're not able to touch their family members. Um, you know, and so what do we do? And then there's the whole legal aspect. All right. If we open this up and someone gets sick, are we responsible for it and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's a, it's a very, I feel for you, man. Um, because it's, yeah, all those, all those questions are out there. Yeah. The transitional piece. And then the other one too, um, especially for our, our high school students um, who do have post-secondary plans um, and, and what uh, what achievement looks like. Um, you know, the, what the universities did, um, what University of California and what CSU did, um, very, well, I, I guess we, it, it would be, it's nice hindsight. It, it would be great to go back and look at um, the steps along the way, but there were um, a couple of notifications that came out, for example, from the UC and from the CSU about um, holding kids harmless, um, 12th graders. Oh. And um, it was interesting what that, you know, what that effect was on the K-12 system in terms of all the way down to the classroom. So when you tell um, that kid that I talked to the other day, for example, um, when you say that we're holding you harmless from your SAT scores, from your 12th grade GPA, from the, you know, and then, and then you put a teacher in front of that kid who's trying to hold him accountable for the next 20 something days, that effect, there, there's a, there's a, there's a reciprocal yeah. <laughs> uh, conversation that needs to happen. Um, so it's very, it's, it's challenging and not just the UCs and the CSUs, but the privates, um, also. Correct. Um, but, um, again, I think this is going to be a really neat opportunity. So we can't lose that either. We, we, we can't lose the lesson. You know, I, one of my mentors used to tell me you only lose when you lose the lesson. And so what's the lesson from that in terms of the communication between K-12 and higher ed? Um, what does that discussion look like? And, um, state and local governments, um, because right. very, you know, we have our, our local governments trying to get on in on the graduation discussion. Um, and we have our, you know, our state superintendent, um, elected officials trying to get in on the, the graduation conversations. Um, when there's some real pra- practical things that can't happen, like you pointed out, Fred, you know, they can't happen um, logistically or even trying to follow the law. Um, but then you're tugging at heartstrings, too. So it's a challenge. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, uh, Julian, we like to ask our guests what 
your call to action is as an educator leaving your words of wisdom with other educators or future educators, what would that be? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're creating problem solvers. Um, we're creating, um, hopefully, you know, those kiddos and that are in the seats in front of us, K-12 higher ed, you know, we really have to focus on, creating um, scenarios, as many scenarios as possible, where these kids have to come up with novel solutions. And that's, that's my call to action. Um, and I think that what we've seen in, with this pandemic is those, of, those, those businesses, those professions, um, teaching, education being one of them, um, those individuals that are the most successful are the ones that have been able to come up with novel, um, innovative solutions, um, despite you know the constraints that are being put on us. Um, it, the new way to deliver food, um, the new way to do shopping, um, the uh, new way to stay fit. You know, <laughs> um, all of these, <laughs> all of these. Um, uh, Innovations; these novel solutions are what is, is are what is creating survivors right now, um, and so we have an opportunity to do that. No matter what you teach, no matter the level you teach, yep. we have an opportunity to create to to have to have students leave our classrooms with the ability um, to create novel solutions to new problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if we if we if we do that, I think that that we're going to be just that much more successful. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for all of your hard work making your school successful being online during this crazy yeah, time. Big, and big uh, time. we appreciate big you. Time. So thank you and good luck with the rest of the school year. Thank you. Um, stay healthy. <laughs> <laughs>